And today we want to wrap up this series on multiple choice, making godly decisions, making the right choice. You know, a few years ago, um, I started losing my eyesight a little bit. I'm already deaf, uh, and now losing my eyesight a little bit. I'm, you know, everything was starting to get blurry. And I, and I told Karen, you know, um, one day, I said, you know, the, the TV screen, um, I can't read the closed caption. It's a little blurry. Karen, our TV too small. We need to buy a bigger TV. <laughs> Karen looked at the closed caption and said, look fine to me. I said, no, I don't know what's wrong. We got to get a bigger TV. And she said, no, I think your eyes are going bad. And, you know, and, and sure enough, I had to do some tests. And, and I, got some, I'm, I got some glasses because of it, you know, because, and, and, and which is kind of scary because, you know, not only am I deaf, now I'm blind. I'm one step away from being Helen Keller, you know. <laughs> Lose my voice, I'm over. But, you know, the nicest thing that Karen, my wife, said about me when I got glasses, that I look a little wiser. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, you know, but I look maybe a little wiser with some glasses. And so that's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about wisdom. We've been talking about wisdom and making the wise decisions in our lives. And uh, in a real quick review, uh, we've talked about the last four weeks, the four different camps that you can live in. And we'll talk about the first camp, where the camp of the simple one in, the, in Proverbs, the inexperienced, the simple. And they don't know what they know. They think they can get away with it. They cross the line, and they see the line, but they say, you know what, I, 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 can, I, can, I feel lucky. And, and, and they're floating with sin. They live, you know, in the camp of the inexperience. And we look at the next camp over. The camp of the indifferent. They know what's right or wrong, but they say, I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to do it my way or the highway, and I don't care what anyone else has to say. I'm going to live here. And then we talk about the third camp way over here, and that's the camp of the indignant. Uh, that's the mocker. They hate the things of God. They hate the Christianity. You know, they don't even see the line of what's right or wrong anymore. They just want to do what they want to do. And they live way over here, and there's, more, no, the, no, there's mockers, the scorners. And so you got the simple one in Proverbs in the first camp. Second camp is the fool, the indifferent. And then the indignant, the mocker, the scorner. But we've been challenging us to live on the right side of the line, to live on this side of the line of morality, and to live in this camp, the camp of insight. And Proverbs is full of wisdom and how to live in this camp. And we'll talk about the filter questions. Four questions that you should be asking yourself in multiple choice decisions that you need to make. We ask the question number one. And by the way, there's an order to this. You know, the very first question is, does it go, what does God's word have to say about it? Does it go against God's word? That, that's the first thing you should look at. You know, there's no such thing as your truth and my truth is God's truth. That's what God has to say. And then the second question is the love question. It's the, it's the motive question. It's the law of love. You know, does it fulfill the law of love? That's the second question. By the way, that doesn't go above the first question. When I say, well, you know, God loves everybody and everyone can do whatever they want. No, sometimes we have to teach the truth 
in love. So that's the second question. We err on the side of love, err on the side of grace, but we still look through the funnel of the scripture. Third question is, does it distract me from God's mission for my life? And then the fourth question, is this the wise thing to do based on my past, present, and future? Past experience, present circumstances, and future hopes and dreams. Is this decision I need to make the wise thing to do? Or what is the wise thing to do? Another question that I pray that you would just download. If you can't remember anything else in this series, think about those four questions and filter your decision making through those four questions. And I promise you it can really help you as you live in the camp of insight, the camp of insight. And so today I want to kind of wrap up this series and I really want to get to the, to the nitty gritty of this camp, the foundation of the camp of wisdom, of insight. And I think this is so important as we process Christian living and wisdom, living in wisdom, we've got to understand this principle. I want to look at the Bible here in Proverbs chapter 9 and verse number 10. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom, your days will be many. When you live in wisdom, your days will be many. Years will be added to your life. If you're wise, your wisdom will reward you. However, if you're a mocker, you're over here, you alone will suffer. Proverbs said that you have the ability, if you have the ability to make wise decisions, you're not going to waste your life. When you can have the ability to make wise choices, you're not going to waste it. not going to waste your life. You're to do the things that matter, that really matter, the things that are really important in light of eternity. So the question is, how do I grow the ability to make wise decisions? How do I grow that? As I live in this camp, how do I get... Stronger in wisdom. And there's something that not just happened here and there, but it's something that you have to be intentional day in and day out. I want you to look at the phrase in verse number 10. Go back to verse number 10. And I want you to underline this phrase. You can underline it in your Bible, underline it on your, on your um, handout notes. The Bible says, and underline it, the fear of the Lord is the beginning it's the foundation of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. That's the key. Understanding what the fear of the Lord is. And understanding that is the key to unlock the door to daily wisdom in your life. The fear of the Lord. Now, let me understand, let me help you there. The fear of the Lord. It doesn't mean that you're scared of God. It doesn't mean that you're afraid of God. And I know this. I know a lot of people today, they're afraid of God. 
And I know that because they're afraid of pastors. I mean, anytime I walk into a party, I kill the party. <laughs> Not so much up here, you know, in the northern part, but when I was leaving the Bible Belt, you know, I mean, I, I walk into someone's house and say, hey, Pastor Scott, can you, um, I got to clean up for a minute. Can you step out for a minute? They, they got, they're trying to hide everything, you know? And I, I'm like, I don't care, you know, I'm just here, and, you know, and they tell one, hey, shh, you know, the pastor's here. You know, keep it clean, you know, you know, not, not that I can hear very well, but, you know, I'm a good, good lip reader. I mean, I can read across the room. I know what's going on, you know, and uh, so that, uh, you know, hey, there's any time the pastor shows up, he kills the party. And so, listen, if people are scared of little old pastors like me, I know they're scared of God. But, but, listen, you don't have to be scared of God. You don't have to be afraid of God. That's not what the fear of the God is, the fear of the Lord. You know, you don't have to be afraid of God. That's why Christ came as a baby on Christmas. No one's afraid of a baby, right? No one's scared of a baby. And God said, listen, I don't want you to be afraid of me. I want you to have access to me. I want you to have a relationship with me. And so the fear of the Lord, it doesn't mean being scared or, or, or afraid. What it literally means, the fear of the Lord means to be in awe. The total reference who God is. An awe of who God is. A reverence for God alone, for Christ alone. That's the fear of the Lord. On a practical level, the fear of the Lord, on a practical level, this is how we can live it out. This is the beginning of wisdom, right? On a practical level, I let God be God. That's the fear of the Lord on a practical level. It's when I let God be God in my life. I don't try to make God into what I want him to be. I allow God to be God in my life. I allow God to be at the center of it all in my life. He's not an outlier. He's not something I do on Sunday and, something, and, and not mess with on Monday. He is every part of my life. I let God be God. I stopped trying to be God. Some of us here this morning, we try to be God of our own little world. We stopped trying to be God, and I let God be God. I stopped trying to fit him into an image and a mold that I want, him, want, uh, that I want to make him into. I let God be who he is. And the main reason we don't let God be God in our lives and the reason why we don't receive the divine wisdom is, is that we don't trust him. We don't trust him. We struggle with trusting with God. That's why we don't let God be God. We don't trust him. We don't trust that he really knows what's best for my life. We're not quite sure that God knows better on how to run our own life. We're not sure that we trust him, that he really cares about the small little details of my life. 
Why not church that we trust that he has the power to really solve the problems in my life? And the reason why we struggle with letting God be God in our lives is because we struggle with trusting God. And the reason why we struggle with trusting God is because you don't know God very well. That's why if you go back to verse number 10, you see that very next sentence, that the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Underline that for a minute. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You see, the more you get to know God, the more that you see that he's trustworthy. The more you know him, the more you trust him. I mean, isn't that true of any relationships that we have? I mean, think about it, if you're married, you know, you first met your spouse, you know, your, you know on your first date. You didn't even know if that was gonna be your wife or your husband. And you went on a date, you know, and you didn't know him, you didn't know her very well. And I promise you, you didn't unload the deep parts of your life to that person on that first date. Why? Because you weren't even sure that you could trust this person. You're not even sure if you're going to be with this person. But the, but the more you know that person, the more you what? The more you trust that person. I, I hope, you know, I hope you trust that person. The more you got to know him or know her, the more you trust that person. And the more you get to know God, the more you discover that you can trust him with everything in your life. When I let God be God in my life, I am fearing God. I am putting him in his proper place in my life. I'm giving him the awe and the reverence that he deserves. My prayer today is that you'll see who God is and that the more that you know him, the more that you love him, the more you love him, the more you trust him and serve him. In the Old Testament, we see a guy named Abraham. If you grew up in church, you heard about a guy named Abraham in Sunday school. And Abraham, in the Old Testament, you know, didn't really know God at, at, at first. He didn't know God very well at first. And in Genesis chapter 15, verse number five, Abraham got a glimpse of how powerful and personal God is. And it changed the course of his life. Look at what he said here in verse number five. He, as God, he took Abraham outside. And he told Abraham this. He said, I need you to get out of your tent. And I need you to look up in the skies. And I need you to count the stars. If, indeed, you can count them. And then he said, so shall your offsprings be. And so Abraham, again, he didn't know God very well. And so God had to show Abraham who he was. He had to show him how powerful he was. And so God takes him out of the tent. He said, look up. And, and he said, I want you to count the stars. I'm sure Abraham started counting. You know, one, two, three. I'm sure God just kind of sat back and just waited here for a few minutes. Abraham, still counting. 2,132, 2,133, 2,134. And God said, hey, how's it going? <laughs> and Abraham said, hey, God, 
um, this is a little impossible. That's a little impossible to count all this. And, and God said, well, that's the point. That's the point, Abraham. Before I tell you my powerful and personal plan for your life, I need you, Abraham, to see how big and how powerful I am. I need you to look up and see the stars that I've created. Listen, I know how many stars I've created. In fact, I, I know how many numbers are there. I know them by name. I know the stars. He knows it all. And he said, Abraham, I need to remind you that I have the power to fulfill the great plans that I have for your life. You see, our greatest problem for all of us is that we make God too small. And we make ourselves too big. We minimize God, don't we? We, we don't let God be God in our lives because we try to make him too small. We fit him in our own little safe, secure image of who, of who we want him to be. And God said, listen, listen, I will not be contained. I will not be controlled. My purpose will not be derailed. I am God all-powerful. I am God indescribable. I am God omnipotent. I am God omniscient. Let me be God in your life. I'll give us three thoughts this morning on how you can have this, the fear of God, which is the foundation of wisdom, how to let God be God. Three thoughts this morning as we close out this series. Number one, I let God be God. When I'm believing God for great things in my life, I let God be God when I'm believing God for the great things in my life. After God showed how big he was to Abraham, God showed him, God shared with Abraham the plan. He said, Abraham, you're going to be a father of many nations. You're going to have so many people in your family. Your nation, they're not going to be able to count how many people is in your nation? They're going to be spread all throughout the world. And out of your nation, all the rest of the world will be blessed. And we know that to be true. Because we can look today at the, the nation of Israel. And we can look at the descendant of, you know, the, the Jewish population. They're not just contained in Israel. They're all over the world. We can't count them. And, and, and they keep multiplying for the glory of God. And listen, we also know this, that there was a savior that came out of that country, a Jewish man, a Jewish carpenter named Jesus. See, God was prophesying to Abraham what was to happen in his life. And he said, that's my plan for you, Abraham. And notice what Abraham did in verse number six. The Bible said that Abraham believed the Lord. He said, all right, all right, God, sounds good. And he believed in the great things that God had for his life. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17. O sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. 
My question for you this morning is this. What impossible situation are you facing today? What, what mountain are you facing that you feel like it looks like it's too hard to climb? What barrier are you facing that's keeping you from your destiny? What, what problem is weighing you down and you feel like you'll never be able to get out from under it? Nothing is impossible with God. It frustrates God when I start looking at mountains or problems and I start thinking, man, it's impossible. I can't do this. It frustrates God when we don't go to him, when we don't trust him to do the impossible in our lives. And God says, God, you're not letting me be me. You're not letting God be God. So God, you got to take those limits off. You got to stop putting limits on me and trust me to do what only I can do. And so many of us, we put limits on God. Not only do we put limits on God, some of us, we put limits on ourselves. God wants to use you. He wants to use you in a powerful way. And you're like, God, I don't know how that's going to happen because I'm a mess. I'm a misfit. I am broken. I have a past. And see, God wants to use you. And sometimes the limits that we put on ourselves stop us from letting God be God in our lives. I mean, when you look in the, in the scripture, God used misfit all through scriptures. I've got a few of them here. Gideon was insecure. He had a very low self-worth. Jonah ran from God. David, King David, committed adultery. Peter denied Christ. Martha was a warrior. Thomas was a doubter. Zacchaeus was a cheater. Elijah was depressed. Moses, he stuttered. Abraham was too old. Samuel was too young. And Lazarus was way too dead. <laughs> God used all of these misfits. Listen, my friend, God can use you. You've got to, play, you've got to remove the limits off yourself and say, all right, God, I believe that you can do great things in my life including using me for your glory. Here's the second thought. I let God be God when I believe God for great things. I let God be God when I'm praying to God about the small details of my life. We should pray about small things. David expressed it like this in Psalms 8, verse number 3. When I consider your heavens, when I see the work the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you've set in place. What mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them? He said, you have made them a little lower than the angels. You've crowned them with glory and honor. David is saying, it just blows my mind, God, to just think that you who made the stars, who created the universe, made the planets, you've got the stars named out. You know everything about there. It blows my mind that you care about every detail of my life. You see, not only is God powerful that we start on point number one, but God is also very personal. God is personal. 
Now, we try to make God small. I've already talked about that, but we, we try to make God small. We try to confine God. We try to limit God. But you see, you can't. You can't make God small. He will not be contained. He will not be controlled. But the great news is this, that God chose to make himself small. And he came 2,000 years ago as a tiny, vulnerable little baby. God divinely wrapped in human flesh, and he made himself small because he wanted you to know about the cares, that he cares about the details of your life. He cares. He made himself small. We didn't make him small. We can't make him small, but God chose to do that. The Bible said that he humbled himself even to the death of the cross. God made himself small so that he cares. He cares about you. He made himself small because he cares about your hurt. He cares about your brokenness. He cares about your pain. He cares about your anxiety and your depression. He cares about the pain that you're going through with your divorce. He cares about that teenager that's going down the wrong path and you're praying for your son and your daughter constantly. He cares. God cares. He cares about every details, every details of my life. He cares. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 6, we started first in our last series. It said, don't be anxious about anything, but in every, every, every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The scripture says that he both great and small, that God wants us, no matter what it is, big or small, that we can take it to him. We can give it to God. We can take the small details of our life and we can take it to him. And sometimes we say, well, you know what? I don't want to be selfish with my small problem. God got bigger fish to fry, you know? In fact, you know, I just pray for the big things that, you know, pray for world peace, you know, pray for, you know, world hunger and, and just help God in those big things because God is too busy with the small details. And when we start thinking that, we're not letting God be God. Because God cares about the details. Those little details, the little things that you worry about. And if you're worrying about it, God wants to know about it because he cares. We take it all through him. We let God be God. When we pray about the small things in our lives. And then number three, I let God be God when I'm trusting God with the mysteries in my life. Pray for God for the big things. I let God be God for the big things. I let God be God for the small things. And then I let God be God for the things I don't even know about. The unknown. But I trust him anyway. You see, for a lot of us, we want to understand everything about God. We want to we understand everything about the plan for our lives before we say yes. You say, God, show me what you want me to do first. Then I'll say yes. And God said, you're not letting me be God. You give me your yes first, and I'll show you the rest. That's the plan. That's how God works. But to Abraham, you know, God told Abraham to go. And Abraham probably said, well, all right, God, where do you want me to go? You know, I let the plan this out, you know. You know, I make sure I get my reservations, my airlines. I want to make sure all this is lined up. 
You know, I need to know my destination. And God said, no, Abraham, just pack up and go. And I'll tell you when to stop. And Abraham, he got up, he packed, and he went. He didn't know where he was going. But he gave God his yes. He said, okay, God, here's my yes. You know, that, you know when you do that? That's an act of surrender. That's an act of surrender when you say yes to God before you see what God wants to do in your life. And you say, God, I, know, I don't know what you want me to do, but yes, God, I'll do it. And Abraham, he surrendered. He said, okay, God, I'll give you my yes before I see the plan. In fact, we see this in Hebrews chapter number uh, 11. The, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of faith. You know, all these great Bible characters. And Abraham, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, he's mentioned in the hall of fame, in the hall of faith. He said, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance. The Bible said he obeyed. He said yes. And he went. Even though he did not know where he was going. He let God be God with the mysteries of his life. And I love that phrase. He did not know where he was going. He was going without knowing. He was going without knowing. I love that. God said, Abraham, I want you to go. And Abraham said, okay, I'll go. I don't know where I'm going, but I'll go. I'll go. And he did it. And he obeyed God. And he took that step of faith. Some of you this morning, God calling to do something. God pushing to do something. And it's like, yeah, but it doesn't make sense. And, you know, and a lot of us, I, I, and I know I'm one of them. I like to have all my ducks lined up in a row. Y'all like that with me? I like to have all my ducks lined up in a row. I like to know what the plan is before I take those giant steps of faith. And God said, listen, I just want you to go. I remember 13 years ago, Karen and I, we left Pensacola, Florida to move up here to Michigan. About this time, right in the middle of the Florida heat for packing up. And the week before, the week before we moved up here, we did not know where we were going. We didn't have a house. We didn't even have an apartment. We didn't have an employer that said, hey, an employer that says um, we have X amount of money that we, you know, for a salary. We didn't even have a salary. The church hadn't even existed. It was all so crazy. And we were just confused. We didn't know what to do. And we said, hey, and Karen, I like, hey, listen, we don't have a plan B. We had no plan B. We're just going to go. We're going to let God be God. And it was scary. I'm not going to lie. We're kind of we're freaking out a little bit. We trust God. We say, okay, God. You've, you've worked it all out so far. And I know you're not going to leave us hanging here. And a week before we go, I mean, we got the U-Haul already ordered. U-Haul said, where are you going? Um, Detroit. <laughs> you know, well, you know, you have an address? Um, you know, we made up an address. I don't know, I think maybe I put my parents' address down. It's okay. Oh, okay. You know, you know we, we just didn't know. And then that last week, there was, a, there was a church in East Point. 
that I had a parsonage. And I reached out to some people in our area and said, hey, we're going to have a pastor. So you have any missionaries or church planners that need a place to stay for a while? <laughs> we'll take it. <laughs> you know, we're like, where's East Point? We don't know where East Point was. You know, you know, East Detroit at one time, the East Point, you know, and, and, uh, and, and so, yeah. And so, yeah, you can stay here for three months. We stayed there for a year and a half, okay? I mean, we took, a, you know, God had left us there, and they, they were like, when we got there, they were like, hey, you guys stay here as long as you need to. I went to place. We, we didn't know where we were going. But God unfolded the rest. He had a plan. Sometimes it's hard. Oh, man. It's hard to let God be God. Because we want to take the wheel, right? We want to take control. But the beginning of wisdom is constantly trusting God and let him be God. Our last verse, and I'm done. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 20. Whoever gives heed to instruction. What's instruction? God's word. The word of God. Whoever listens, whoever pays attention, whoever is in the word of God, prospers. Prospers. There's a lot of misunderstanding about, about this word. Prospers. You know, is that good health? Is that wealth? Is that health? I mean, what is that? You know, prospers. In the literal Greek language, the word prospers in the Hebrew language, it means the ability to make wise decisions. You want to prosper? You want to live in wisdom? It's God's word. You know him. You let God be God. You live in a camp of insight day in and day out. Listen, there's a drift. I'm sure I'm telling you, the drip is real. The drip, there's a pull from culture, there's a pull from the evil one to pull you to this side of the line to get you to live in these different camps on the wrong side. And there's a drift, and it's real. But if you stay in the word, you'll prosper. You'll make the ability to make wise decisions. Look at the rest of the verse. And he says, and blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. I trust God to be God. My friend, this morning as we wrap up, where is it that you need to let God be God in your life? Is it the big things? Is it the small things? Is it in the mysteries of your life, the unknown? Well, you just need to give God your yes and trust him. Blessed, happy is the man who trusts in the Lord. It's all because you're living in the camp of insight. God, we thank you for your word, the powerful message on how to live in the world that we're in. 
Maybe there's some of us here who are living on the wrong side of the line. We're living in the wrong different kinds of camp. God, I pray that today they will come back to the place where they belong, in the camp of insight, the camp of wisdom. I pray that they will begin to incorporate in their life a healthy fear of God. When we start like, when we start living, let you be you. Let God be God in the big things, small things, and in the mysteries of my life. God's so easy for all of us to be in control, but God, the more we spend time on your word, the more time we spend in your word, you'll give us the ability to make wise decisions, to prosper. So God, help us today Speak and work in our hearts where we need to be worked at. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.